See, I think the thing is that, you know, English has to be free. Like, we have to be free in the English classroom to talk about what we want to talk about. There's a lot of memories I would like to erase from my skull. You'd be surprised to hear what kids are talking about on social media. So I kind of like to show them a range of little things. I like them to have, you know, like a range of things to draw on and I just, yeah, I think it's a really good thing. They can see you but they only stare. That's senior English teacher Mr Jason Jewell and the closing soundtrack to a Danish short called Boy. If I said to you LGBTI, I could almost guarantee that you'd immediately start thinking about gay marriage or marriage equality. And as a teacher in Australia, you might also think of some of the controversial programs in schools about gender education. And then you might want to know where I sit on these issues and make judgments about me. I find this all a bit tiresome because sex is good and human sexuality is such a fascinating and complex topic in so many ways beyond all the politics. And I actually think it's something we need to discuss more with each other, not less. And that's where short films are so good, because they give us license to talk about these difficult topics. Today's guest I met through my previous job at the Campfire Film Foundation, and his enthusiastic support of my work often spurred me on in difficult times. So sit back and enjoy our catch-up. And on a technical note, I do apologise for the sound quality in this episode. The best short films for lifelong learning, recommended by teachers for teachers. This is Short Films Teachers Love, with your host, Richard Lee. Now, Jason, I have to say that I had no idea what you would choose when I asked you to be my guest. Um, And these shorts, you know, take us into some fairly treacherous territory. If not for you, then certainly for me. But I'm I'm so glad you did. Um, But before we get to these films, I want you to tell me a bit more about the school you're at. It's... um, It really is one of those government schools that's held in very high regard. Why is that? Um, I think, well, it's it's the strength of the families around here. You know, I mean, it used to be when I first got here in 1998, right, which is 19 years ago, um, it used to be very European, lots of Russian, lots of Israeli families, um, and they have a very, very high standard of education. A lot of their families, like my mum and my grandma, they missed out on education, so they always put the pressure on us that we all had to succeed because they didn't have the opportunity, that old war mentality. And now the profile of the school shifted a bit to more Asian kids and they've got exactly the same. I always make this joke that, yeah, to my ESL kids, I always say it's just like growing up in a European family. You have to be a doctor and a lawyer. You know what I mean? So, you know, like they have, yeah, their parents tend to live vicariously through their kids and they put a lot of pressure on them to do very, very well. So that just raises the whole profile of the school. So, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter what background you come from, but those sorts of cultural backgrounds have a very strong value of education. Yeah. Your role, Head of English, um, what's your teaching load then? How many classes do you still teach? 17 a week. Yeah. So 17 periods a week. And I've got three Year 12 Englishes, two English and one ESL, and um, EAL, they call it these days. And um, and I fill in two periods for creative writing in Year 10 as well. Wow. Right? Mm. Yeah, so I get six free periods to run the department, but I've got 34 people in my department, so it's huge. Um, And I've got 82 year 12s at the moment, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
it's, it's a lot to juggle, though. I suppose, you know... I, it's, it's a lot to juggle. There's yeah. a, lot, a lot of essays to mark, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's what I spend most of my time doing. Yeah. yeah. So you I must have a, a real knack for sort of getting the, the pithy bits and going, yeah, that's going to be good, that's going to be, you know... Yeah, and look, I love my job, but it takes up all my time. Mm-hmm. You know? And, you know, I, I, was, I, I said the other day that it's quite interesting that no one who's a Year 12 teacher at our school actually has kids who are school age, which I thought was fascinating, yeah? Because they're so yeah. consumed at the school, is that what you mean? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Well, it's mainly outside school too. Like I would do 10 hours of correction on the weekend, mm. guaranteed, you know? So, mm. well. Wow. All right. Well, mm. you're, you're doing it well and, and to stay there that long you must be um, very much enjoying it, so that's great. Let's let's have a look at these films. Um, you've chosen three, one with a really, really long title and two with single word titles. <laughs> So let's start with the really long one. That's um, This is how you'll make your bed in prison. Tiny fingers trained on chilly mornings. In the art of jail corners, we were told, this is how you'll make your beds in prison. Some of us not yet ten years old. Everybody should have known better. Because you're dealing with little children. Where did you come across this film? I think you introduced it to me, Richard. I was thinking that when I watched the start of it again the other day and I was making notes and I'm thinking, I think you showed it or mentioned it to us when you had one of those meetings, right? I wondered about that and I was hoping you'd say yes. She was a very engaging speaker, I thought, the lady on the um, who who, um, you know, whose Nikki. story it was about, Nikki, yeah. And um, and I just thought, no, she's just so refreshing and authentic and honest that, mm-hmm. you know, she's so engaging like that. Yeah, there's a lot that I loved about this film, yeah. you know, and I think it's a nice snapshot for kids as well. I mean, that's the power of short films. You can show them in class and then do activities on them in the same class, mm-hmm. which is why we always love you guys at Campfire because you were able to bring us those mm-hmm. plus the lesson plans plus the discussion and, and they ended up being really good discussions among the teachers and we built a lot of them into our work programs which is good you know so this one um how do you use it well um i like doing this for a number more personally i show the eal kids in year 11 so i've built it into the year 11 eal course because we do stolen which is a play um by jane harrison and uh australian play um, very rarely performed, but absolutely powerful. And so it's five stories of kids who are stolen and their life, um, their sort of how their lives pan out. So this is perfect for that because it's a visual representation of the types of problems these people have and how they overcome. I just look, I just think this, and then we also use it for identity and belonging in year 12 VAL as well. Yeah. So the kids do a lot of stuff on Indigenous Australia in history, but we like the stories in English. You know, we like the visuals, the stories, you know, hearing from people's own points of view, and I think that develops a sense of empathy. Um, so I've built it into two EAL courses, but I like showing my English kids too. I like them to see that there's some hope. A lot of what we read in terms of Indigenous problems is that there's no hope and it's, a, you know, it's a lost cause, whatever. I like her whole attitude here. She was a really good role model. You know what I mean? And she really, she basically said, you know, if you, it's a fairly obvious message. If you strive, if you stick to your guns, if you've got integrity, then, you know, some sort of success will come, come with it. And all problems, you know, with the right kind of 
attitude can be sorted out. So I think it's got universal messages regardless of its Indigenous theme. But I also think that um, the way that it's constructed helps kids realise the injustices in this country, I think. You've got these massive buildings in Canberra where the courts are and they're sort of juxtaposed against, you know, like, you know, the early images of, you know, of this is how we'll make our bed in prison and the abject conditions of those. So, you know, and you, and, you, and you have to toss it up. You have to kind of go, well, I have to accept this. This is part of my country. I've got to accept that there's that poverty, there's that injustice, and this is our past. Yeah. There, it was interesting when, when I watched this, um, I... I detected two layers of, of narrative going. One, one is the sort of the main, the legal story um, of, you know, her fighting for the right for prisoners to vote. But the other one mm. was, this, um, was this sort of meta-narrative, the story behind the story, which in many ways defines Vicky's life, that here were these 10-year-old kids being told, you know, for whatever reason they were, they were jailed, they were, they were kept for their own protection, they were being told, you better get do your beds like this because you're going to need this when you go to prison. The power of suggestion can change their life. It's terrible and it's toxic. So I'm and wondering. Then you think about asylum seekers and you think about the kids in Nauru. You know, you think about those sort, and that's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of all kids in abusive families. Mm. This 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 film, I think, is um, a real testimony testimony to how childhood shapes an individual and therefore a generation, yeah? Mm -hmm. And it's not good enough, you know, that we've got this in our country. It's not good enough. Definitely. Um, All right. Were there any other notes you had about that film? Well, yeah, I've made a heap of notes. I've got topical and touching. Yeah. I love the imagery and the poetry at the start. I love the fact that there's a poem at the start. Yes. So we quite often analyse those words, yeah, and how – because at the moment I'm teaching in creative writing year 10, I'm teaching poetry. What have I got? It inspires kids to recognise the problems of intergenerational systematic neglect in Australia. They're good with statistics and definitions. Like even the kids in year 11 and 12, you know, they find, you know, on Google, they find every statistic you can find and every, you know, whatever. But this gives a human face to it and I think they need to know that. Yeah, I mean, we live in this. We live in an urban environment. We don't get to, um, you know, mix with many people who are indigenous or whom this problem has affected. So I think that's important, right? Um, I also like the depiction of the lawyers as well. It shows that not every white person is the enemy or the villain. And I think Marbo does that too. You know, the film Marbo does that too. That's on the twelve list at the moment. Her laugh and smile are infectious. I like that. And she's remarkably optimistic and forgiving more, and that's better modelling for kids as well, you know, to have resilience in adversity. And if someone like that can laugh and joke and, you know, tell her story honestly and whatever and doesn't mind leaping on camera, I think that's a really good role model. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's move on to our uh, one-word films. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and the first one, Boy. The translation reads, You have to pull yourself together. You have to go home and stand up for yourself. But I can't. Yes, you can. Hi, Mum. No, not here. See you later. 
what I love, I think what first struck me um, is I love that the emotion is carried through purely by the acting and the visual performances and the dialogue, beautifully crafted dialogue, and there's no music. And it's only at the end where we get a few little notes that's sort of cheerful, but it's all carried by the actual story and the narrative. Mm. So the story about the teenage girl convinced that she's a boy and is battling with strict definitions around her gender identity with her mum. So talk to me about where you use this, and, and I'm keen to talk about the reactions you get and all that sort of stuff. So tell me about this one. For the last five years I've, I ran, but I'm not doing it anymore because my job's just far too busy and other people are doing it. I ran a club called the Anti-Homophobia Collective here. I started that with a kid in 2011. And um, we uh, we meet regularly and we look at the ways that media and the education system, so the SSCV whole scandal, the SA Schools Cults and all of that scandal, you know, was absolutely fascinating and we've got at least two, well that I know of, two trans kids at our school you know, so we're looking after them and whatever, I mean, and I'm always called in as a bit of an expert because, you know I've done a lot in gender studies and a lot you know, my degree was basically in gender studies and literature. I'm part of a group called Respect, which is healthcare professionals, teachers, all kinds and kids as well, who sort of meet one once every term, we have a big um, afternoon tea and chat. And we have a guest speaker and we chat about issues that are affecting kids in schools, LGBT kids in schools. So this is where I heard from this. One of my kids in my club sent this to me, this film, and said, and she said, this film makes me feel things, which I thought was just gorgeous. I've got to watch this thing, right? So I this film and I thought, oh, my God, it's amazing. And I remember using it in every single year 12 class. I'm saying that, you know, you know, we see the world through a heterosexual and a heteronormative lens and this provides us with a completely different view. You know, there's so much to love about this film. But the, the silence in it's brilliant, yeah? But I really love this character because she's such a belligerent, you know, audacious, you know, teenager who's just rebellious teenager just wants to get under her mother's skin and doesn't that to every kid. You know that And not in so, and not in a massive way. It's it's just the looks and the you know, little bits of eye rolling and all that sort of but stuff. But how many but I mean, you know, every assembly we go to, every time we tell a kid off and not doing the homework is the eye roll, you know, and it's, it's exactly the same. And so what what um what we often do with this for a creative writing activity is we get kids to kind of write what would the dialogue she might have with a best friend be or, you know, or like about how she's going to approach this with her family or, you know, um, you know what happens after this or what happened and give us an episode early in this kid's life to, you know, show that, etc. cetera. So um, the, I've, I'll read out what I've got because I think it's fascinating. Um, and I wrote a lot of that. I said, I said, this film's just gorgeous. You know, she looks like any rebellious teenager. The mother's re- very real as well. I like that it's foreign. I liked that. So, you know, kids can see kids in other countries also go through similar problems. I think that's really important. I show a lot of that. Like, you know, short films from different cultures, like, as you know, the Indigenous ones, but but um, also Asian cultures, African cultures and things like that, because I think it's really important for them to see that our experience is basically matched with those of the same age around us. There's no doubt about it. The human condition is universal, and that's the way it is. Um, examines gendered norms, and but also I think why and how they are perpetuated. So there's a little phrase like, you know, you're doing weird things, you know, you're causing a scene, or just by being yourself you're causing a scene or doing weird things and the thing I loved about that is that I was always told that as well you know as a kid you know you're doing weird things or you know 
don't cause a scene or don't act out or don't act like a girl and all that kind of stuff. And, I, you know, and it drove me nuts. And my mum let me be whoever I wanted to be. But she let all four of us be whoever we wanted to be and the other three is straight. So, you know, so, you know, and we were allowed to be ourselves. But as soon as you get into society, there's, you know, a change in that in that expectation and that's just not fair for kids, I think. You know, I think that's really crappy. We're still struggling in many schools with, you know, the binary he, she Pronouns. We're still st- struggling with only one uniform for boys and one uniform for girls. I've got a lot of girls at my school who want to wear the pants and they weren't allowed to until this year. And so we were instrumental in kind of changing that. You know, they freeze in the middle of winter and, you know, who wants it? So it's actually a practical reason, but why should they not be able to? You know, that's the thing. So I guess it's a heartbreaking examination of gender dysphoria, but I don't like the word dysphoria because, of course, it suggests there's something wrong. It uh, examines the many, many places and settings, like there's a shop, you know, a dinner party, you know, whatever. The fa- you know, I hated the fact that she had no privacy. I hated that. You know, the mum just walks into the bathroom and you'd think there'd be one space in the world that you could, you know, look at your breasts or whatever or lack of breasts or in the mirror. And, um, you know, the, the mum has no problem kind of just walking in. So I've written this little note saying whose body. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a bit of a social commentary on the rights of an individual to determine what they do with their body, which I think is really yeah, um, you've got quite a. Can I can I jump in with one thing that I want to pick sorry. up on? No, 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 that's good. Well, I'll get you to continue in a sec. But I just just as far as the whole gender identity thing, I, I'm guessing that. Um, well, and this is, might be a bit of a guess, but at McKinnon showing a film about gender identity is pretty unremarkable. A bit like I was thinking, how you know, it's a bit like Matt Lucas in the character of Little Britain, who's disappointed that everywhere he goes is coming out gay. It's no longer a thing, you know. No one cares anymore. It's kind of like, I've, I've been using that phrase often. I'm no longer the only gay in the village. Anyway, yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. But, yeah, but so what I was going to say, but, you know, but there are, there are many in society and, you know, might be surprised to, to know that I'm one of them, that they're included among groups that are still uncomfortable about this whole issue, you know. And, in fact, you know, as a Christian, that you know, I, I go to church on Sundays, you know, I'm still mm. uncomfortable and not sure how to talk about it. And because, you know, we come at it from such a different place and such a differently sort of centred worldview that I, I find it challenging. So my first... One of the questions I had to ask you is, do you ever pick up on the the religious themes in this film? Because I noticed they're celebrating an Easter get-together and then she says, oh, it's a Christmas lunch and um, and the whole... I think the whole shallowness of the mum's facade, you know, the cover-ups and the, and all that sort of stuff is is how so many people see the church and its response to homosexuality and and people identifying as LGBT. So, you know, do so I just wondered how much you went into the to the religious because, you know, sexuality is so personal and so spiritual, you know, as well. There's there's a lot in sexuality that's hard to talk about in schools. I guess what I'm saying, I guess I've got more optimism about religion than you have, right? Because I know a lot of religious people, right? And they are mainly Jewish, I must admit, mainly Jewish, who are really open, really, you know, accepting of difference or whatever. And that's why I see the 21st century anyway. I think inevitably, you know, religions are going to have to get with the program that, you know, sexuality and gender are one thing and belief in God is another thing. And I don't think they actually match in any way. You know what I mean? I think one's personal and one's kind of like communal and that's all good. So, you know, and I love religion for what it does for people because it was very, very strong for my grandma and it brought her, it took her through, you know, the Russian Revolution and two world wars, you know, and it sustained her faith until she died last year when she was 100. You know what I mean? 
But it's not something we ever believed in, even though we had the same rituals as, as you know, the child from this film. But so I don't really see them as being commensurate in any way. So I don't see them. I don't see them being connected in any way. But that's because I grew up the way I grew up. So I grew up. In- family where with a mother who was completely rebellious and didn't mind what we did and actually forwarded and promoted individuality which was good so you know I, was, I think I'm lucky like that right so you know because we, we were sort of told you can be whoever and whatever you want to be so it's all good um and that religion is something that is a belief in god so I, I, so I don't really understand the sexuality or gender arguments from the fundamental right I don't really get that I kind of think what's got to do with you you know my body or body not body you know we both believe in god yes you know sort of thing it doesn't really worry me you know? um so again do the, um do the students raise that so I'm, I'm particularly interested you know because it is as you've already said a film that encourages discussion from kids mm. on a topic that's not really easy to discuss so how you know how do the students respond to this one they love it. Look, the students are really on board with me. They know if they're in my class and a few other my teachers' classes. I mean, we're very, we're terribly left wing, greeny, hippie. You know, we're English teachers. That's what we chose to do. You know, we didn't choose to be, you know, businessmen. We didn't choose to be, you know, anything but, you know, social agitators, really. And I always make the joke that if they're not um, arrested on the steps of Parliament House once during their university degree, then, you know, I've. I've them personally, that's right. Anyway, so you know that sort of thing because I want them to fight for rights and do all that kind of thing. Well, you know, but they but they don't hear that in every other class. You know what I mean? Like I mean, you know, I know that in economics and business studies and maths and whatever, quite conservative kind of views. But I think English is the place where you can discuss you know really controversial issues. Um, and we all say quite honestly that you know they. They can take everything we say with a grain of salt because there's only one view or one argument, you know, in the whole gamut of arguments or whatever. So what I love about this film, though, just go back to the film, is that there's a picture of the mother. I like the mother's conflict here because I think the kid is quite acceptable for kids, you know. Kids have a look at this kid and go, yeah, well, if she wants to be a boy, then let her be a boy. What's the difference? You know, if I have a mohawk, you know, kids are like, they accept anyone. They sort of, and they promote the ideals of individuality. But I always remind them of the struggle it is with parents who have sets of expectations and then they change. Mm. And we see that and we get, like you're talking about seeing from another perspective, we get to see the mum's perspective and grappling with it. So I like the double depiction in Boy Mm. of the mother's crisis and, you know, and I think that's the strength of this film. Mm. And and mum says something like, am I a bad mum? And he goes. And and he says yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I've got, but that's not really true and we know she's not a bad mum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> 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 22 girls, maybe more. But I was an early starter. Rebecca Ingham, grade four, outside the fish and chip shop. She was in grade six. Now, I, I love how this one starts. Um, it's that 
it's that mindset that, you know, can take over during adolescent years that everywhere you turn, people are kissing or the whole world is obsessed with sex at every level and how teenage, teenage boys but teenage girls deal with this in a world where none of the adults talk about it. You know, that's what got me. And, and that whole metaphor of, you know, oranges are the one thing that he can't have because it gets stuck in his braces. <laughs> um, so, but, but struck me that in this one, unlike boy, in this film, the parents are absent. And whereas in the first one, the tension about the cover-ups that we talked about of the mum grappling with her, you know, her daughter identifies a male. Here, it's the teenage boy who is covering up as he grapples with his own insecurities about his own gender identity. And it, and it has none of, none of the sort of religious overtones that we talked about in Boy. So what what age um, do you show this to, just to start us off? Normally it's year 12, so year 11 to year 12, right? Um, although I think that this film should be kind of shown earlier. I think it should be shown in about year 9, right? Because in this, uh, we've got this program at school called Bites, which is where what the kids do in year 9. They've got six periods a week where they do things like they learn how to vote and they learn about the political system. They do sex, drugs and rock and roll, which is sex ed. Anyway, I just think in this particular course, this film would be particularly good. The first thing I wrote is it looks, feels, smells, sounds like a real school, doesn't it? Yeah? It looks like school. And these kids look like really ordinary kids, you know, that you would see. So I just think have have something about that and to, to do it younger than, than what I'm suggesting. Thanks looking after me. Me too. So, uh, school, I suppose. Uh, you won't tell anyone. No. So I've got, I like the ambiguous ending. So I'll talk about the ending first. I like the ambiguous ending because we don't know how these two will end up or what the ending will be or what will happen, but we know that they'll be okay because of the look they share. You know, there's kind of like there's a secret that they've got, you know, and it doesn't matter how, whether they end up straight, gay, whatever, it was just a phase. You know, it's okay. It wasn't a bad thing. I'm, I was curious just in the response from, um, I mean, you said you've used it in different groups. So I'm wondering yeah. about have you had response from parents to this film where a kid might not have expected to see it at school and they've, you found out it for, found out from the parents and... Or, you know, if, if there's any discussion with parents or where they sit in the whole equation. Um, my, oh, it's a hard question because I don't know what goes on in their kitchens at night or whatever. I, all I know, all I know is that, you know, I think if I'm going to have a sense of integrity as a, as a role model to them, I need to kind of question the way things are. Um, and as I said to you before, I think that there are a lot of other subjects which aren't English, which teach them a, you know, range of fairly conservative ideals and values and they're surrounded by, you know, a culture that's fairly conservative and I think it's more conservative now than it was when we were growing up in the 80s. You know, I do. I think that, you know, that binary between male and female is more fortified than it ever has been in all that kind of thing. But I also think there's more discussion of ideas and you'd be surprised to hear what kids are talking about on social media. So I kind of like to show them a range of little things, you know, like, I mean, show them this, I'll show them, you know, this is how to make your bed in prison as well. I'll show them something environmental as well. You know, like what are the range of ideas here, you know, and I think that's good. And it's, and it's again, it's that licence to talk about it, isn't it? And it's the licence right. to go, 
we can actually, it's okay. We can talk about this at school and at home and challenge our parents and challenge That's the, the school point. and, and let's, this is the time to do it. So it's, it's yep. good for that, yeah. Yep. I think, yeah, see, I think the thing is that, you know, English has to be free. Like we have to be free in the English classroom just to talk about what we want to talk about, right? Um, I've got a few things to say about sure. this yeah, film. Yeah, please. Um, first, the reason I love this film is because, right, I, and I found it by accident, would you believe? Um, I, I've always taught lit. I'm not teaching it at the moment. Literature is the true love of my life. Anyway, and um, there's a book called um, Janet Winterson's Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit, and it's this funny little motif in the text where her mum um, where she she loves oranges, right? And her mum won't let her have oranges, yeah, because they're too exotic, they're too strange, they're too whatever. And, of course, it becomes, you know, the metaphor for lesbianism. Um, anyway, so I was looking up a film version of that and I saw a short film, Oranges, and I have to noticed that it was LGBT as well. I went, that is a weird connect. What's that about? What's that? You know, <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll never look at oranges the same way again. Yeah, I I <laughs> anyway, so you always do that book with this short film and sort of say this is like a modern version of it, which is fascinating. Anyway, so I thought this film is so so goddamn important. Yeah, and, and um it's it's about heteronormativity and the double standard for LGBTI kids and teachers. And before when you were saying that, you know, yeah, when you're a teenager you just notice people kissing and the sexualization. Guess what? I've I always notice people kissing and I always notice people kissing because they're straight and I can't do that in public, which I find a double standard that is unacceptable, right? So every time I see an ad or a Hollywood film or a billboard or two people on the street, you know, groping each other, you know, I feel quite ill because I just think that's so unfair. You know, and for 45 years I've been dealing with the unfairness of, you know, allowing that to be normalised when... We're not allowed to do that. Of course, I've been known to take that ride because I'm a rebel, but you know what I mean. I remember standing in Carlisle Street one day and I uh, was seeing this guy. I was about 32. And we were sort of like waiting for a tram to go, right, and it started raining and I love rain and I find it really romantic. So I made him kiss me then and there and the whole the whole street stopped. Well, it was fantastic. Anyway, but you've got to do these things in life. But anyway, and that's what you need, you know. You know, it's really passionate kiss. Rain coming down, it was like, I was, felt like Sandra Bullock. Anyway. This was before uh, selfie, so you didn't have the big selfie moment either, did you? <laughs> of that kind of thing. It was years ago. Yeah. So this kid's kind of so damn normal, I like. Yeah. I think this is a kind and warm examination of the tumultuous and treacherous train of sexuality formation in adolescence, you know. Um, everything is uncomfortable, mm. just like adolescence. Everything in this film is uncomfortable. Yes. yes. I love uh, the lack of privacy and freedom again. See, that's a common sort of motif for these films with, you know, the kids don't have privacy. They don't have the freedom that they need to express themselves or become who they want. Um, I also thought this was a rare glimpse into male friendship. I didn't think mm. it necessarily – I like anything that shows positive male friendships, yeah. whether it's an ad or, you know, like a film or whatever, especially heterosexual ones. And even though this is like, you know, this has got an LGBT theme, I like anything that shows two men helping out each other. I just like that. I think it's important for kids to see it. Mm. Yes. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> God, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Just to, uh, just to finish then up then um, – I always like to ask people what their earliest moving image memory is. What's yours? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. I can't remember. 
Well, I guess that I was always obsessed with Prisoner and always obsessed with Countdown because you know what television was like. Television was good because you had to wait for it, yeah? You had to assemble. You had to go to the toilet before it. If it was on the ABC, there were no ads Ads. in it. You had to make sure you ate and whatever before it. And, you know, and you actually had to con your parents into, because we only had one TV, you had to con your parents into watching that thing at that time. So you had to set it all up. And I liked all that. I thought that was quite good. It made it special, right? So um, Countdown was like that. You know, it was every Sunday night, the whole family was together and all of that. And I just liked how um, loud and vibrant and bright it was, you know. And if you – I remember you used to switch over to the news after that and that was always so, you know, boring and stayed, you know, whereas this was kind of like an escape from everything else. Um, Also, Prisoner was funny because mum loved Prisoner and she used to use it to – to teach us about all all the social ills in the world, she'd go, you know, they're injecting drugs, Jason. They're injecting drugs, and that. When well, I'm eight, I learned about all this stuff. You know, that's what you do. Anyway, so I thought that I just loved that as well, and it was in Melbourne and all that. So they're probably my best two, you know, images that I was more interested in than anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I better let you go. It's getting late, but I, you know, we've gone on along and we've covered a lot of oh, territory. It's been a but pleasure. Short, yeah? short films, you know, I, I was really pleased when you gave me these because I think. You know, as you've said, short films give us this license to talk about things that ordinarily we can find difficult to confront. So, you know, that's it's it's been a, a good thing to talk about here. It's a good thing to talk about in in the context of education. And you've taken us to some fascinating places today. So, thank you for uh, thank you for the tour. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Talk soon. Yeah. Good luck with everything. Find all the links to this episode on SoundCloud. Join us next week on YouTube for the edited highlights of this conversation.